Amen. Thank you so much for uh, allowing me to be uh, a part of the service today and to be able to serve and share with you what uh, I believe God has placed onto my heart to be able to share with you today. Uh, as I was speaking with um, Pastor Sean a couple weeks ago when he asked me to come, uh, I said, yeah, sure, absolutely. I, any chance I get to be able to serve is my, is my joy. And as you know, uh, as he mentioned, uh, I am one of the supporting missionaries uh, here at this church uh, known as Ratio Christi, which means the reason or the rationality for Christ. And what we do at, uh, at, at Purdue University Northwest is where my hub is. That's kind of where my main station is, but all across Northwest Indiana is we train and equip students to be able to defend their faith, to know why they believe what they believe using science, history, philosophy, and theology, answer a lot of questions, engage in a lot of discussion, and really get them and challenge them to be able to think about why we believe what we believe as compared to any other worldview or religion. So this is what we do. We constantly do these things like this. And here's a, the recent picture we took on Friday. It's not a good quality picture, but that's the best I had. But you see there, I have some students there from China. I have some from uh, Brazil. Uh, I have some other local students there who are, again, trying to re figure out and reason how they, know, how they can know why they believe what they believe and also to share it with other students on campus who may not agree with those beliefs. Uh, and so we also have a local pastor there who, who promised to bring us pizza next week. I said, you're going to double our size here. <laughs> There's no greater way to gather students than to offer them free food. So that's what we're doing. If you're interested in finding out more of what we do, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. But again, we're here to serve Northwest Indiana. So I, I teach and preach at many different churches, different locations. I just say, give me time and space, and I'll be there to serve. And so that's what we do. And thank you so much for your support as a church things are going well we've just kicked off our or we just finished our second week uh we've had more response from most students than than we ever have before uh gotten a lot of context a lot of students who are interested and who are attending so that's what we're looking forward to is more of this more events coming up and uh it's always open to the church anybody who would like to join us for these things are welcome to join us so that's what we're doing and when like as i was mentioning earlier when i was talking to pastor sean about what we could be talking about what i could what kind of message i could possibly share he said to me that he was going through the parables of Luke. I said, all right, great. Luke is my favorite author. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. He wrote the Book of Acts, one of my favorites. Uh, he says, okay, well, here are the parables. He gave me a list of the parables. And I thought about it. I said, okay, well, it's Labor Day, and we're talking about parables. Well, there's this parable in there known as the shrewd manager. Let's, let's talk about that, about how this guy was managing his finances and doing the kind of work that he did. And as I was looking into this parable, I realized it's one of the most controversial par parables that's in the Bible. So I'm like, great, let's tackle it. <laughs> let's go for it, right? Because uh, it's, it's kind of what I like to do. I like to challenge people. I like to get us to kind of think. So if you don't mind, let's go back. Let's go back to the time where Jesus was sharing this with his disciples and get a little bit of a perspective of what he might have been trying to share with us that day. Now, the parable offers a lot about talking about how we handle or use money. Now, one of the questions I'd have to ask is, what is the purpose of money? What's the purpose? Of, why do we even have it? Well, money, there's a, one of the main purposes that I like to define it. One of the things that money allows people to do is to be compensated for their work and then buy work from others that they can't do themselves. For instance, uh, if you've seen my boys, they just got fresh haircuts the other day. And my mother-in-law saw them and says, oh, look, who cut your hair? And they said, oh, daddy did. Like, wow, daddy does ministry. He does music. He does medical stuff. He, he cuts hair. He does, like, yeah, but daddy doesn't do roofing. Daddy's not a mechanic. Daddy can't fix the window. <laughs> you know, I, there's a lot of things I can't do, 
but I use the things I can do in order to buy with money the things that I can't. So there's one of the things that we can look at when it comes to money. We can help us do things that we aren't able to do ourselves. But what about this question about can money get people into heaven? Well, directly, no. You're not going to get into heaven because you have a lot of money. But indirectly, sure. We are in a room here. Why? It was created by people who had money to be able to build a facility able for people to come and hear the word of God, to be able to share their faith, and to be able to attend a church. Well, how does that happen? We're gathered here together, again, to hear the word, to have staff on hand, to be able to provide services. Well, it was all because people donated their time, their money, or their resources to be able to do that. And this is what I think Jesus talks about in today's parable. Money actually motivates and changes behaviors evil, either for good or for evil. We may not realize this, but money is a huge motivator. And this is why I think the scriptures spend so much time talking about uh, uh, the amount of money we have and how we use it. Or the dangers of having the amount of money we have and how we use it. We're talking about different things like spiritual gifts. Of course, we hear about the church body being able to do this or doing that. What, some parts the head, some parts the toe, some parts in between. Well, there's some people in the church who are good at serving here and serving there. And, ser- and there are some people in the church who are good at either making or managing money. That's something that can be provided or used in the body, in the church. And so that's what we're going to be looking at when it comes to this parable of the shrewd manager. Now, imagine that you are the rich man, okay? You are the rich man, and you have one of your employees who is a manager, and you're going to have to deal with it. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 1. It'll be on the screen if you don't, but if you have your Bibles, make sure I'm saying the truth. (laughs) Luke chapter 16, verse 1 starts, it says, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man who was, uh, there was a rich man, uh, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, How much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, Take your bill and make it 800. Now think about this guy this manager. You're the rich man, and this manager of yours is cutting off your income by half, right? And like the Pharisees, many of people would think that this employee is, is about to get more than just fired, right? They want to see more than just what fired. But what happens in the very next verse, in verse 8? We read, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, 
Who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this, and they were sneering at Jesus. Now, the purpose of a parable is to tell a story and to get you involved in that story so that you remember things better. It's a lot easier to remember the story than to remember a, a, a list of bullet points that you have to kind of memorize and put into order. So the parable is meant to kind of give us a picture of who God is, who we are, and what our behavior should reflect. Now, who's, the God, who's God in this parable? Well, it's the rich man. It's the rich man who's providing all the resources. Who are we in the parable? We're that manager. We're that manager that is being accused of wasting the resources that God has been providing for us. And this is one reason why many people don't like this parable, because what they see is that he's doing it dishonestly. Again, when we look at this from that perspective, when we see, okay, we've got the rich man who owns everything, and he has a manager that's supposed to manage all of this and take care of the people, in a sense. Where when we place ourselves in the story, we realize that we have a God who is provider of all things. And everything that I have is God's, and he's granted it to me that I'm supposed to do this, in a sense, as a disciple and reach out to the people that God has asked me to, in a sense, manage or reach out to or care for. But are we supposed to do it dishonestly? No. So let's go back, and let's go back to the beginning and, and, and kind of look through this. First of all, the rich man has a manager who is wasting his possessions which is very similar to the parable he told just before this one about the prodigal son, who, in a sense, said, Father, give me my, my share because I'm going to go and live my life. And he ended up wasting everything he had. And the rich man asks for an account of his management. Well, again, if the rich man represents God and we're the manager, we see how this fits in to the very, very fact that one day we too will have to give an account of our management of the resources God has provided us with. We're going to have to uh, give an account of whose resources? God's. Whatever we have really is or really belongs to God's. Now, the manager starts to consider his possibilities. What can he do so that even when he loses his job here, people will welcome him into their houses? See, he assumes that if he could find friends or win over friends, with his master's debtors, they might, in a sense, offer a job or may, may be able to take care of him. They'll at least welcome him into their house. So he starts to give away large sums, of, large sums of his income to the debtors, large sums that he, on the other hand, would have collected for himself. And the Pharisees, they didn't like this, and neither did the disciples, because they wanted to see justice take hold of his dishonesty. But the master commended him. Why? Well, it's a good lesson from a bad example. And what was the good lesson? He was shrewd. What does shrewd mean? One of the things I like to do on, on campus is that we have to go back and try to figure out what the definition of certain words are anymore because we don't use these words or we've used them in such a way that when the second we hear it, we think of something else. But honestly, the word shrewd just means to plan ahead or to make sure that the best situation comes out of this, uh, this, the best situation comes out of whatever this is going on here. So I'm planning ahead. Is it wrong to plan ahead? 
No. In fact, Jesus once tells his disciples, I'm sending you out as a sheep among wolves. So be shrewd as serpents, but innocent as doves. Well, if shrewd is bad, but being innocent is good, that would be a contradiction. And Jesus would not contradict himself. So being shrewd doesn't necessarily mean being bad, but it does mean to plan ahead. And that's, what, that's, that's pretty important. It's pretty important to plan ahead for a certain day, especially when that day is considering to be maybe eternity. Should we be shrewd when planning for eternity? I think we should. Why? Because honestly, we're going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive. Right? You can live to be 110, 120. You're still going to be dead a lot longer than you're alive. So he's planning for tomorrow. And the moral of the parable is found in verse 9. There's a parallel there. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. You see, this is where Jesus' teaching really takes hold because now he's starting to see, I'm not talking about just the next day, but I'm talking about eternity. I'm talking about something beyond the life that you have, that you're living right now. He's saying that we should use our wealth to win people for Christ because they're going to welcome you when you get there. They're the ones that you can win over for Christ. And then when it's time for us to be welcomed, they're the ones that are, that, that'll be there. Shouldn't we have an eternal perspective for planning ahead? And I'm not talking about just tomorrow, but for all eternity. And when we think about money and how money affects everything we do, it affects everyone you know. It even, it even affects the church and the money that comes from the church body. This is one of the reasons why money, honestly, is one of the top subjects that's taught throughout the Bible. Another reason is because money can be a great distraction away from God. Money by itself is neutral, but too often it does pull people away from God. If we continue reading in that parable, in verse 10 it says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, but whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you know someone who's cheating on small amounts, can you trust them anymore? Can you trust them with a lot? Probably not. Wouldn't be the smartest thing to do, right? In fact, for just about any crime that's ever committed, ask police officers, ask detectives, about every crime that's committed, it's based on one of three motives. It's either money, sex, or power. Those things can pull us and distract us away from doing what we know is right. In fact, 1 John tells us about this. It says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So we definitely do have to be careful with what we are using worldly things for. Being distracted can happen very easily, even if it's just a little, that begins to pull us off track. And if anyone, verse 12, if anyone has not been trusted with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Whose property was the manager giving away? It was the master's, right? It was the master's property. And notice, Jesus never said it was wrong. He just didn't like the fact that he was being dishonest about it. Why? Jesus never said it's wrong because it seems like Jesus wants us to realize that what we think is ours really isn't ours in the first place. Everything we have belongs to God. It was given to us for a purpose. And the reason 
the purpose is to give it away in a way that honors and glorifies God and will benefit his kingdom. And he goes on to say in verse 13 that no one can serve two masters. Either one will hate the other or hate one and love the other or one will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, to be completely honest, many of us probably struggle with having more than one master. Something that grabs our attention more so than building a relationship with Christ. Every day we struggle with this. Every day I know I could be doing more today than I already am. And so this struggle is a constant thing. It's a constant thing we're going to have to face. But it's not impossible. We have to, again, put things back into perspective. We know who the master is. We know we're managers or stewards of all that is his. What are we doing in order to use them in a way that glorifies the master or God? In fact, when Paul writes to Timothy, he says this, Timothy 6, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that will plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So again, we have to be careful with where our desires and our passions start to lead us because if they start to draw us away from God, we are going to be pierced with many griefs. And this is not a new concept. It wasn't new, new 2,000 years ago. It wasn't new 1,000 years before Jesus because Solomon himself talked about this in Ecclesiastes where he says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. You see, the more money we have, the more we want. It's our own appetites. It's our own desires that we always want more of what we like. And in fact, it pains us and it kills us to hear that I can't have more of what I like. We like something so much that when somebody honestly tells you that you, you can't have that, we think it's wrong. And our thinking goes all out of whack. But James t reminds us, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. I could tell you a major problem with churches locally. We're American. <laughs> We're American. We like things right here, right now. We like the microwave oven. We like overnight deliveries. We like, you know, things right here, right now. Just download things and it's there and I have it, right? It's part of our sin nature. We, we just don't have time. We're, we're greedy. We want this stuff, right? We, we, we want the results more so than the process of gaining those results. We want those results so that we can enjoy that right then and there instead of jo enjoying the process of growing or what we would call sanctification in order to get there. Unfortunately, too many times we're serving money and using God instead of serving God by using money. And that's the point of verse 9. Money is a tool alongside with the gospel in order to win friends. Friends of who? Friends of God. So what can we take away from this parable? First thing is, our money is really not ours. It's God's. We are the stewards. We are the managers. Second thing is, we can be shrewd. We can plan for the best or plan for the future. 
And not just for tomorrow, but for all eternity. We can do that. And so if we are stewards of God and we are being shrewd and planning ahead, remember that we will be accountable for how we've managed them. We serve at the pleasure of God. He doesn't owe us anything, yet we owe him everything. Yeah, I know we work hard for what we have. We work hard for the blessings that we have. But don't forget that you were blessed in order to work hard, right? So we should plan for eternity by using God's resources to reach and to disciple people for Christ. Remember that old saying when you go out witnessing to people, you, you go out there and you try to make believers of all people, right? No. Did Jesus ask for believers? No, Jesus asked for disciples. Go out and make disciples of all nations. That means someone who is going to learn from you as you yourself model what it means to follow Christ. We've heard that technique of walking up to somebody and saying, hey, if you die tonight, do you think God would let you into heaven? But we never ask. What if you don't die tonight? What will you do? Are you just looking for fire insurance? Then why not have God just take us out as soon as we believe? No, we were left here for a purpose. We were left here to be more and more like Christ and have others, win other friends who want to model what we're doing or follow us or be friends with us so that they too can model Christ. That's called discipleship. Our resources aren't just to win people to Christ, but to build people up in Christ. We can do this. So if the rich man has all the authority and gives it to the manager to handle his resources for the people, then God, who has all supreme authority and is given it to his disciples as a resource, we should be using this to win people over with discipleship. Again, it's a good lesson from a bad example. Now keep in mind, you're not commanded to give everything you have, okay? I'm going to let you off the hook there. You're not commanded to give everything you've got, but God does love a cheerful giver. And so whatever is in our heart and in our ability to give, we should give. And remember that we're, not, we're planning for eternity, not just tomorrow. And there will be eternal rewards that are much more valuable than the material ones. Jesus promised that there will be true riches for those who are obedient to this. And what are those? It's going to be those people who are welcoming you, welcoming you into heaven because we have served God with the resources that he's provided us, right? We can serve God and use money, not the other way around. If Christianity is true, then we can realize that eternity is much more important than riches. And yeah, I'm convicted too. If you ever walk out of a church sermon feeling too good about yourself, it probably wasn't a good sermon, <laughs> all right? Because Jesus is constantly trying to correct human behavior. And don't get me wrong, it's not wrong to enjoy what God has blessed us with. But if we don't have an outlet, if we don't have something that we can pour back out of, it's going to kill us spiritually. If we just start hoarding and hoarding and me, 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 and I got to have more, I got to have, if I don't have an outlet to where I can pour out into someone else or to, to a congregation or someone else's life, then I'm going to just flood myself, in a sense, kill myself spiritually. And for those who may not have all the resources or maybe struggling re resources there's a prayer challenge from solomon it's in proverbs he says this two things i ask of you lord do not refuse me before i die first keep falsehood and lies far from me second 
Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become too poor and steal and so, and so dishonor the name of my God. See, many of us have probably heard the saying, you know, money can't buy happiness. But you know what? <laughs> we'd, rather, we'd rather like to try that for ourselves, right? I, let, let me find out. Maybe I'm the exception. Or I know money can't ha buy happiness, but maybe I can rent it for a long time, right? We'll try one of those things. But see, are we meant to be happy? Are we here to buy happiness? Are we looking at No. We're here to serve God and God alone. And how are we going to do that? With the resources he provides. And I'm the manager. And I'm the one who's going to be held accountable. And I'm the one who other people are looking to as, hey, you're the manager of this rich man, or you're the disciple of this mighty God. Can I glean from you? What, what do we have to offer? Are we prepared to offer that? Or are we going to hoard it for ourselves and give me more, give me more, give me more? So that's the challenge. What do I have today? Whether, whether, what are within my time, my resources, or my talents? And have I shared them in a way that glorifies God, that wins disciples, and it builds the kingdom? All of us are talented, right? If I need a mechanic, I'm looking for someone because I can't do it. But if, if someone needs a haircut, <laughs> maybe I can help. No, they'll come to me. But I mean, there are things that I can do, that I can provide, that I do this in a way that uh, glorifies God, that reflects God, to provide, to share. And that's what I'm challenging us with today. I know it's Labor Day, and we're taking a rest from all of our work. Praise God. But when we get back to the grind, make sure we're doing it in a way that reflects why we're doing it. It's because there is a rich man, there is a mighty God who has provided for everything you see me doing. I want you to know him. He sent his only son to die as a sacrifice to pay for the penalty I could not pay. And therefore, when he faces the Father in heaven and says, I paid for him, and he accepted the payment, he gets to be welcomed in by all these other people that he used his resources to be here as, as well. Let's do that today, church. Let's go out there. We may have a picnic or something to go to. Let's do that and win people for Christ. Amen?